One, two. Ah, there we go. Hello, everybody, again. And for those of you that have prepared for me and are ready, thank you that you haven't left the room. That's one way of preparing, isn't it? Not listening to him this morning. Uh, fruit That Lasts is the series that we're in at the moment. Uh, it's a series about fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's not a series about real fruit, like peaches and pears and pineapple and plums and that kind of thing. Uh, I say that largely just to help you know something new about me this morning, which is I don't particularly like fruit, uh, and I particularly don't like any fruit that begins with the letter P. So uh, that can be something that you think about during my preach if you get bored at any point. What other fruits are there? Uh, why are we doing this series? It's because fruits of the Holy Spirit are characteristics that God gives us as believers and followers in Jesus so that we can exude God to other people. So in theory, God can see other people in us and therefore be drawn to having a relationship with God. So it's a series largely for believers and followers in Jesus, of which a number of us will be here this morning proclaiming to be that. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in or a follower of Jesus, I want to say three things to you, if I may. Number one, thank you for coming. It's not always easy to come to church on a Sunday morning and experience something that, in your view, might be a little bit wacko. So I appreciate the fact that you've come this morning. Number two, and this is a bit scary for whoever brought you today, I'm giving you permission to examine your friend this morning as we look at the fruit of the Spirit that we will look at a little bit as we go through. See whether you can see in them what I'm about to tell us about this morning. And if you don't see it in them at all, have a conversation with them about why that's the case. <laughs> be an interesting conversation. So I give you permission. The third thing is there might be some practical tips that you hear along the way anyway that you think, oh, I could use that whether you're a believer in Jesus or not. So that's something for you if you're not a believer in Jesus. Galatians 5, a, a book in the Bible, verses 22 and 23 is where we're basing the series. Let's just read that verse again quickly, if we may. It's on the screen behind me. It says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Today's fruit then is patience. Patience. And uh, during our worship time, I think we were, we were being patient. We were waiting for God. We were resting in God. And I think that's an important part of being a believer and following Jesus, that we wait for God. It's not in my preach at all. I think God has done some of the groundwork in terms of waiting for him during our worship time. We may come back to that a little bit at the end. Previous three weeks, we've done love, joy, and peace. Love is the foundation of everything in the Christian belief system, if I can call it that. God is love. And God wants us to know that we are loved. And if we know that, then that brings joy, which is why second week we did a message on joy, a very joyful message on joy, I felt, because I brought it. And week three, last week, peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, a wholeness in our human ex in existence, something we don't have to worry about insecurity or worrying what people think of us or anything, or even God. We can be whole in who we are and know that we're loved and known by God. So that's the three fruits so far. And God wants us to be people who exude love to others, who are joyful to others, and so that people can see joy in us and think, oh, that's interesting, and who always are exercises of peace one to another. What about patience then? How patient a person are you? 
How patient a person are you? Are you patient with people? Patient with circumstances? Patient with God? Patient waiting? Impatient. thought it would be a useful exercise this morning. We've done a little bit of this already this, today. To take one minute to ask ourselves the question whether we think we're a patient person. As we do that, you might want to shut your eyes. You might want to bow your head. We're just going to take 60 seconds to rest a little. 60 seconds, ask yourself the question, am I a patient person? Okay, that's 60 seconds. And it's funny, isn't it? In our culture, I think that feels like a really long time. Probably some of you are thinking, get on with it, Gus. I've already decided after the first 10 seconds whether I'm patient or not, and I'm not. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, you see, that we live in an instant culture. A go-get-it-I-want-it-now type culture. Everything we do in our lives has to be done super quick. We're not re willing or, or, or ready to wait for anything. Most of us, I'm sure, go shopping to the supermarket. I don't know if you're like me when you get to the supermarket checkouts. What are you going to do? You're going to form a view immediately on which of the checkout lanes you're going to take in order to get through it as quickly as possible. It's true, isn't it? We're skilled and trained in this art. It isn't just the shortest queue that we're looking for when we get to the checkout lanes, because there's a whole other different set of criteria that we're thinking about as we choose the right one. What are some of those criteria? Sorry, what was that? Friendliest person. Well, that's an interesting one, you see. Friendliest person, because I go for the one where there aren't friendly people <laughs> in the queue. I don't want to get into a huge long chat with people. I just want to get through the checkout lane. But that is one, isn't it? When you see the normally elderly single person who's going through the checkout run, you know that they're going to have a massive long chat with the checkout cashier as you're waiting behind them thinking, don't talk about your cat, your dog, and your budgerigar. It's true, isn't it? Some of you are holding your heads. You know this is true. What else do you look for? You look for the... Sorry? Volume of shopping. See, look. Volume of shopping. It's not just, look, there's one person in the queue, so that's got to be the, quick, the quickest. There's a whole massive load of shopping in the basket. In the trolley, it's, it's falling out of the trolley. Better to look for the half trolley and the half basket. That's the one we're going to go for. What about if there are couples together in the, in the queue? That's a good one. Couples together means organisation. I know this because I normally go shopping with my wife. What should we do? We'll go up to the little trolley conveyor belt thing. I'll put them out. Jane walks down the other end and packs them in. And then 
I don't get to talk to the cashier because I'm not very friendly. Janie would, that's why I put her towards the end. We pay the bill and off we go. That's how it works, isn't it? What else do we look for in the queue? I'm going to tell you now. Well, method of payment is a good one. We could be here all afternoon. <laughs> we could be here all day if we keep going like this. But here's one I'm going to share with you that I know you're going to agree with. Are there any students in the queue? Oh, yes. If there are students, you know what's going to happen, don't you? They're going to get to the checkout payment. They're going to realize they're 17 pence short, and four or five of them are upturning their pockets trying to find a few coins to pay for, for whatever they've got. They get into a huge argument. Is it going to be ditching the economy sausages or the luxury chocolate roulade? I'm standing about thinking, flipping it. Have I got 17p that I can give them? I don't want that shopping queue. And then there's the checkout cashiers. Oh, yes. Which one are we going to choose? We don't want the young lad with the kindly looking woman hovering behind him. Because, trainee. Trainee doesn't know anything about shopping at all. So when we put our bunch of pomegranates on the delivery table, as it were, they're not going to know what they are or how they're going to weigh them, or how much they cost. They have to turn around to the kindly old woman who's been through it all before. It all takes too long. As someone said, I wouldn't be buying those. It's a fruit that begins with the letter P, just in case you spotted it. Who else don't we want? We don't want the friendly, jovial, older person who's chatting to everybody. I've already had a bit of a, a, an accusation of this type of person, but this time it's the checkout cashier. Why? Because every item of shopping in your shopping bag is an opportunity for a conversation starter. Oh, pomegranates, you're having a fruit and wine party tonight? Fruit and wine? What are you talking about? Just let me get through my shopping, will you? Who else don't we want? The greasy, black-haired, spotty, dead-looking one, who's mid-twenties. Well, we don't, do we? They've been chained to the checkout all day as punishment for a heavy night out the night before. We don't want them. Oh, it's like death, breathing death into us. We want to scream out, hurry up! Can I just get out of here, please? Who are we looking for? We're looking, and it is normally, a middle-aged woman who's a full-timer. Nice hairdo, slightly blue perm, glasses. They seem to have this method where as soon as you get it on the shopping conveyor belt thing, in a whizzing blur, it, it appears in a huge pile of shopping glory at the other end. As if they're saying, look at me, I'm the fastest shopping cashier checkout person in the whole of history. That's who we want though, isn't it? Get to them. No talking, just shopping. <laughs> Quite enjoyed preparing all of that, as you can probably imagine. I thought, is it going to actually add anything to my preach today? I don't know. <laughs> it was fun, wasn't it? In a kind of weighty morning, we needed to have a laugh. Are we patient? I don't think we are, most of us. We're always in a hurry. We always want to get there first. Not think about anything, just do it. That's what we're like as people, let alone Christian people. And we're in a culture that's very much like that. thing is, God isn't like that. God is patient. God is patient, and we see it all through the Bible, right from the beginning all the way through to the very end. We looked at the story of Adam and Eve last week briefly. Well, if 
you remember, they blew it. They blew it for the whole of mankind by taking fruits from the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree that, that God said don't take any fruit from. They blew it. They took the fruit. And then what happened? They realized they'd, they'd done it. They realized they were naked. Adrian told us to become a naked church. Discuss. Jesus came walking in the garden, knew that they'd done it, and they were ashamed. What did Jesus do at that point in time? The Lord, it says in Genesis. What did he do? Did he shout at them? Did he scream at them? Did he lose his rag? Yes, he did bring some consequence, first to the serpent, then to Eve, and then to Adam. The reverse order of accusation actually took place in that story. That's grace, by the way. But then what did he do? He made clothes for them. That's patient. That's kind, isn't it? He didn't lose his control at that moment. He very kindly, very patiently made some clothes for them, the very clothes that they needed because they now realized they were naked. That's nice. That's God. The story of Noah, a few chapters on. God, by this time, was actually hugely disappointed that he created the whole of mankind. It says in chapter 7 of Genesis that every inclination of the thoughts of man was only evil all of the time. Every thought all of the time was only evil. That's what's happened to mankind. And God thought, man, why did I even make them in the first place? I need to start again, as you or I probably would do if we were God. This has gone wrong. I'm going to start again. Screw it up and start again. God was patient. He found Noah, his family, and he worked a way through a different way in order to ultimately redeem mankind. He held himself back from his righteous anger. Abraham. Didn't God promise to Abraham offspring that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky? It was an impossible promise for Abraham because he couldn't see it happen. And he had to wait, and he had to wait, and he had to wait. And God eventually gave Abraham and Sarah Isaac in old years. They had to wait. But God had a plan that was going to span across the generations because he was going to be patient about how he was going to outwork it. What about Moses? When God passed Moses in that lovely story in Genesis 34, I love this story. I often go back to it. This is the one verse for me in the Bible of many that I just think this is God. God Moses wants to see the glory of God. He says, can I see your glory? And God says, kind of. You can't see me in my full glory because you'll die. But I'll tell you what, I'll stick you in the cleft of a rock, I'll hide you, and my glory will pass by you. And then, as my glory passes by, I'll, let you, I'll allow you to see the back of my glory, however that works. And what did God proclaim to Moses when that happened? He said this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Isn't God patient if he's slow to anger? Isn't God patient if he's forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin? He's not a fly-off-the-handle God. He's a patient God. And then you go all through the Bible, as I say, we could, we could spend hours doing it. When God patiently waits for his people to come to him, saying, live, like, like, live life like this, come into a relationship with me, sometimes there is like people do, and sometimes they don't. He appoints kings, even when it's not the right thing to appoint kings, because the people want it. He's patient with them. Then there's the judges. The people follow Jesus sometimes and follow Jesus and they don't follow God sometimes and they do other times. But God is patient and waits for them. God gives them warnings about how to live their lives and if they don't live his way, they can end up in trouble and persecution. But he's patient in terms of holding that trouble and persecution back until eventually they become oppressed by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians and everything's going horribly wrong. But still God says, look, I'm going to send one to rescue you out of your oppression at some point in the future. He's patient with them, pointing to Jesus. 
waiting, watching, waiting, watching, planning across the whole of history, orchestrating events in order that all mankind, all man and woman, could come into a relationship with God. That's what God is doing in the Old Testament. A patient God. And then we see the arrival of Jesus. Is Jesus patient? Bet your bottom dollar he's patient. Of course he's patient. He's the Son of God. That's who he claimed to be. So we've got to see patience in him, haven't we? How was Jesus patient? Three things. What about his rescue mission? Jesus came on a mission to rescue all of us. To rescue us from our sins. To take the punishment that was due for us for all the wrong things we think, all the wrong things we say, and all the wrong things that we do. Jesus lived a life that was perfect. Never said anything wrong, never did anything wrong, never thought anything wrong. And yet, went to the cross and paid the price for our sin. But as a human being born as a little baby, he had to wait to fulfill that mission for 30 years. 30 years, and we know this is true because the Bible goes silent for about 30 years. And people say, well, what happened to Jesus in that 30-year period? I'll tell you what, he was waiting. He was being patient, waiting for his ultimate destiny to come to a head. He says often in the scriptures, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, and then he says, my time has come. And he was waiting. Not an easy wait either, because he knew his ultimate destiny. If you like, a shadow over his existence, but he waited. And during that time, he was probably waiting by being a faithful son, a faithful family member, bringing some good character into his home. Who knows? But he waited. He was patient. And then we've got Jesus' patience with his disciples. This is all over the scriptures, to be honest with you. I've picked one or two stories. A comparison of the feeding of the 5,000 with the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 15. Now, I know we, we could argue about the chronological nature of some of these stories in the Gospels, but for argument's sake, let's just assume, as it is in the Gospel of Matthew, that the feeding of the 5,000 happened first in Matthew chapter 14, and the feeding of the 4,000 happened second in chapter 15, because that's how it's written. So what do we see? Jesus being patient with disciples. Let's look at this briefly. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, says this. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. This is the disciples describing to Jesus the situation and telling Jesus what to do. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. This is Jesus saying, don't tell me what to do, I'll tell you what to do. The disciples say, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, suggesting to Jesus that there's nothing that they can do. At which point Jesus says in verse 18, bring them here to me and then off we go with the miracle. That's, that's the play on that, on that miracle. Turn over in the chapter to Matthew chapter 15 in the feeding of the 4,000, 4, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I've compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. What's Jesus doing here? He's saying to his disciples, big crowd, larger number of people, no food, what happened last time? Anything you can do about it? That's what he's saying, giving them an opportunity to exercise faith. Verse 33, his disciples answered, well, where could anybody get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Hello? Been there before, nothing we can do. 
we're only humble little disciples. Jesus is a little trigger. You can almost imagine him here leaning forward with his head on his hands like this, going, all right, how many loaves have you got? Because before it was five loaves and two fishes, and this time, seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And you can imagine Jesus saying, and? Seven and a few rather than five and two? Is there something that could happen here? And you can imagine the disciples thinking, what's he talking about? And that's exactly what happened because Jesus then got the crowd to sit down and exercise the miracle. Isn't this Jesus being incredibly patient with his disciples? Waiting for them to exercise some faith, to be involved with something that they'd already been involved with before, which was pretty massive. Bit dim, bit slow, not taking the bait. And still, Jesus did the miracle. Didn't have a go at them. He's patient. And he's patient with people in general, disciples and other people. In the Bible, the little expression, oh you of little faith, how often do we hear that? Oh you of little faith, to the disciples in the boat as they're crossing the stormy Sea of Galilee. Oh you of little faith, what does he do? He doesn't rip them to shreds, he just calms the storm because he's patient. What does he do when Peter starts sinking on the water as he's stepped out of the boat in faith to come and meet Jesus? He doesn't rebuke him. He reaches out his hand and patiently grabs him to rescue him. What does he do when he's teaching the people in the famous Sermon on the Mount and telling them not to worry about life? He says, oh, you of little faith. He doesn't have a go at them. He said, look, just seek first God's kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom. Patience. Patience. Patience with the people. That's Jesus being patient. So God is patient and Jesus is patient. And God wants us, as his people, to grow in patience because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit, a characteristic of God himself. How do we grow in patience, then? How do we grow in patience? Well, what is that patient word as used in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23? Here's a Greek word for you. I mean, I was once taught on uh, leadership training that you don't throw Greek words up on the screen for people to read because it's pointless, because none of us mostly are Greek. So what's, what's the big deal? It's like throwing up a French word and trying to, trying, to, trying to express it. But I just quite like the word. Macthrothimize. Sound like some kind of new milkshake from McDonald's. So I thought you might remember that. It might be a connection for you this morning. But it has three elements to the word. And the three elements are forbearance, tolerance, or long-suffering. And the word points to patience with people more than it points to patience about circumstances. It's a love-related word this patient word here, which is interesting because when Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love being patient. Love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is that. So that's the sort of patience that we're talking about here. It's forbearance patience, tolerance patience, long-suffering patience. Now what does that mean? Well here's a way of trying to understand those words. Forbearance and tolerance and long-suffering. It's where we positively cope with or deal with people and situations that for whatever reason might drive us to exasperation, frustration, and anger. Say that again. Where we positively cope with or deal with people or situations that for whatever reason might otherwise drive us towards exasperation, frustration, and anger unless we're patient. Ringing any bells with you? Situations where you think, don't like the sound of that, can't be patient after all. We're going to skip through three parts of patience to help us understand how this applies in our lives. 
three parts of patience. Here they are. Patience through suffering mistreatment, patience through provocation, and patience through dealing with other people's faults and frailties. Let's see how we measure up against these kind of things. And if you're a Christian here today, a believer and follower in Jesus, be honest. And if you're not a Christian here today, ask your friend at the end how they're getting on. I'm giving you free reign just to be not patient. You can be as angry as you like if you're not a Christian here today. Patience through suffering mistreatment. When I was in IT world a number of years ago now, I worked for a finance director who, for some strange reason, I still struggle with it in my daily walk with Jesus, didn't like me. I know. It, it is shocking. He didn't like me. <laughs> that was a beautiful response. I couldn't have planned that better. <laughs> you what? <laughs> he didn't like you, guys. Well, he didn't. Now, whether it's because he just didn't like me, or I was no good at my job, or um, he just didn't like the fact I was Christian, I don't really know. But he, he made life difficult for me. He often belittled me in management meetings and in the public arena and all the rest of it. Now, I don't want to spend time dwelling on that, because otherwise it looks like I have unresentment in my heart which I haven't. But there may be situations for some of us here today where we know we're being systematically mistreated in whatever world we're in. Mistreatment, unfair mistreatment, being picked on, bullied, victimized, made small, whatever it is. And if you're in those situations, particularly if it's due to your faith, your belief as a Christian, you'll start to find in you, over the course of time, and it will be a slow rise, anger and frustration and resentment. And that anger and that frustration and that resentment will start to boil up inside you more and more and more over a period of time. And you'll start to carry it with some sense of justification because how you're being dealt with is wrong. And you'll feel it's right that I'm feeling angry and frustrated and hurtful and hateful towards this person, whoever it is. And so this kind of anger, God wants us to counter with patience. He doesn't want us to pass our own judgment on these people. He wants us to rest on his ultimate judgment of them and exercise patience and love towards them. What does it say? 1 Peter 2, verse 22 and 23. This is Jesus, a model of Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus just took it when he was mistreated probably the worst mistreatment of all history in fact when he was being grossly mistreated and hung on a cross and people were shouting accusations at him he didn't shout at them I condemn you all to hell he said father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing that is patience dripping in love mistreatment that's one area of patience the second is provocation how is this different to mistreatment provocation if mistreatment is the long, slow burn of anger and frustration, then provocation is the instant loss of temper. It's for the hotheads here amongst us this morning. If you're a hothead here this morning, put your hand up for me. Oh, <laughs> again, this is an amazing... I'm surprised. I actually wonder whether some hotheads would do that or not. If I was a hothead, I might have kept my hand down. But anyway, thank you for your honesty. The funny thing is... The funny thing is, if we are of a volatile disposition, often, and that's actually been demonstrated, we want people to know that. We're not necessarily comfortable with it, but we want people to know about it, because when we do it, sometimes it comes with who we are. and We want people just to accept us for who we are. So I fly off the handle, I don't personally fly off the handle, 
very rare. But I fly off the handle third person, and we want other people to say, oh, that's how they always are, that's okay, that's what they do. And, and if you're a hothead this morning, some, sometimes you just want that to be recognized and accepted, and you want to be loved for it. Not for it, but in it. God is our motivation here. What did God's glory include when he passed by Moses? Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. A tempered God. A slow-burning God, if you will. He doesn't rise in a hothead moment of out of control. He holds himself back. James 1 verse 19 says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous kind of life that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. How do we deal with ourselves if we're hotheads this morning? Four tips quickly. Number one is, and some of you have done this already, which is great, recognize that you are. Just recognize that you are, be honest before God, and then confess that it's a wrong thing in the light of the scriptures that we've just looked at. Confess that it's wrong. That's the first thing. Second is when situations come along that cause the adrenaline in you to rise and the top begin to come off, don't pretend that they're not there and just turn your back and say, well, I, I can't, I'm just going to walk away from it. Actually, use that as an opportunity to say, right, I'm going to exercise godly character in this moment. My whole disposition now is about trying to heal relationships involved with the people that are causing me to lose my temper rather than to hurt them. I want the best for the person that is having a go at me. I want to seek the best for the provoker, not for me. First, our self is second and the person who's hurting us first. Hard, but true. Then, on the occasions when we slip up, don't give ourselves a hard time. Because we are going to slip up. This is not going to be an instant click your fingers and you're going to change overnight thing. So there are going to be moments where you're going to slip up. Just when you do, always apologize to the person involved with your loss of temper. Always apologize. Whoever it is, however old you are, always apologize. Because that builds humility in you as an individual and an openness to wanting to change. And then finally, don't be discouraged if you do slip up. Because I say, it's a long, slow burn on this one. It's not an instant change overnight. That's patience through provocation. Then finally, and quickly, patience through faults and failings of others. This is the one that we cope with nearly all of the time in our lives as Christians, as normal people. The faults and failings of other people, who generally we think aren't as nice or as good as us. So if you are a checkout cashier, you're the middle-aged woman with the slight perm and the glasses that goes whizzy through the shopping, because you think that's me. Or if you're a driver of a car, you're never the one that's holding all the traffic up that you want to overtake. That's not you. Or if you're someone that serves on a church rotor on a Sunday, you're never the one that doesn't turn up. You're always the faithful and the committed one, the one that's going to be there. Things happen in our lives to us on an ongoing daily basis that immediately we think, and we start to grumble and moan and think ill of other people. And God at that moment wants us to exercise patience. Patience, not to be condemning, not to be harsh, not to be cruel, not to start backtracking, uh, backmouthing I should say, but to be patient, to take a breath and to, feel, to think well of the others. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Colossians 3, verse 13, 
bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another bearing with one another in the normalities of life other people's faults other people's frailties not like you not like me but let's bear with them let's bear with them shall we let's be patient it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit so there we are the three parts of patience through suffering mistreatment through provocation through the frailty and failings of others God is patient we see it all through scripture Jesus is patient we see it through the Gospels they are our model what about us are we patient why don't we stand and I'll pray we've done a lot of waiting this morning in our worship waiting for God which I think has been a good thing And I just want us to be honest again. We had that minute in the preach to ask ourselves the question, are we patient? If you know you're not patient, if you know that you're suffering with mistreatment and you're struggling to control yourself, if you're often provoked and you just rise in a hothead moment of loss of temper, if you're actually quite judgmental of other people and the failings and the frailties of normal people in normal life give you a hard time, we're going to have 30 seconds this time of quiet. And then after that 30 seconds, we're going to invite you to come forward if you'd like some prayer for those three things. You can have prayer for anything else today as well, by the way. But those three things, if you want specific prayer for them, we'd love to pray with you. Because we want to be a people that exude love for others. And one of the, exude, one of the elements of that love, <laughs> I don't know what word I was saying there, is patience. So let's just take a moment. Ask yourself that question. Am I going to come forward? And then I'll invite you forward in a few seconds. Just be quiet. Okay. I'm not going to pray yet. So if you want to come forward, come forward now.